Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. That was an example of a little ministry time. Um, We started, we didn't know what the Lord was going to do, and we followed his leading, and it looked like God was meeting some people. Um, the way I could tell that just from here was some people were weeping a little bit. Some people's eyelids were fluttering a little bit. Some people were swaying. Um, others just looked at peace. Those are just signs of the spirit meeting somebody. Now, there are a small percentage of people that when they get prayed for and the Holy Spirit meets them, it, it doesn't physically, nothing seems to happen, but it's like a deeper work that's happening in their heart. But for most of us, there is some kind of physical response that we have. And that kind of makes sense because we're human bodies and we're encountering, encountering a supernatural God. If you think about it, we're putting our finger in a PowerPoint and our bodies are going to react. So when you're leading a ministry time, what you're looking for are signs of the Spirit working. Now, the signs aren't what the Spirit is doing specifically, but they're just evidence. They're an overflow that the Spirit is at work. And then you you ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you're doing in that particular moment. So I want to talk about how to do that in a minute. Um, John Wimber, so we're going to lead into part two, which is how do you lead a time like that? Um, If you're like a small group leader, um, is anybody a worship leader here or run services or gatherings? Yeah, yeah. Um, how How do you start and then how do you continue in leading a ministry time. John Wimber, he said, prayer ministry is meeting the needs of others with God's resources. So essentially, right back at the start, we're back at love. It's about extending the kingdom of God through love. So prayer ministry is about love and creating space for God to minister to his people in love and power. And that is really foundational for who we are as the vineyard. Um, this is kind of in our DNA. It's in our heritage. It's who we are. It's it's part it, the. Um, John talked about that we carry a thread, if you like, in, in the big bundle of, of wool. That one thread that we carry, this is a key aspect of it, that we do this every time we gather. Um, and part of that is we just simply do it out of obedience. The, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, said, teach them to obey all that I have instructed you. Well, part of what Jesus instructed his disciples to do was demonstrate the kingdom. So what we need to do is equip each other in how to do this and continue doing this. What we don't want to become is charismatic in theology only. Um, a lot of Pentecostal church, sorry, a lot of churches, even Pentecostal ones, um, have progressively taken backward steps away from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in order to try and stay relevant or be more seeker sensitive for when visitors come into the room. And, you know, those, those, that's good intention behind it. But in my experience, um, when we minimize the ministry of the Spirit, it's, it's normally not for the sake of visitors, actually. <laughs> visitors are usually pretty okay with this stuff, particularly if they're unchurched. You, if, you talk to, if you talk to people outside the walls of the church, um, they're, they're into all sorts of spirituality out there. And, and they come and this is like, oh, wow, something seems to be happening here. What, what's going on? It's normally Christians that get a bit upset about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, unfortunately. Um, but the, the key um, 
to not weirding people out is not to, mini- to minimize the ministry of the Spirit. It's just to do it in a naturally supernatural way, which is what John spoke about today. We just dial ourselves down and we let him do the work. Uh, Steve Nicholson, who is a leader in the vineyard in the US, uh, he recently said, in his opinion, the most effective form of, form of evangelism is still bringing people to church and seeing them encounter the Holy Spirit. So it is actually extending, multiplying love outside the building of the church when we do this as we gather. So how do we lead it? Well, there are generally two theologies um, that we can come back to when we're thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first is what you could possibly call the Arminian position. And this is where we are the active initiators in the process and God responds to our initiation. So if you uh, want a biblical text for that, that would be Mark 5. If you know that story, Jesus is off to um, heal Jairus' daughter. And on the way, the woman reaches out, touches Jesus' cloak and receives her healing. And if you come from more kind of Pentecostal tradition, this is probably pretty familiar to you. You reach out and you pull down a miracle is sometimes the language that is used. Um, but the idea is that we initiate and God responds to our initiation. The other theology is probably a more Calvinistic approach, which is we rely on the sovereignty of God and we follow his initiation. He initiates what's happening and we respond to him. And we get this one from John 5. This is where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and there's lots of people that need healing, but Jesus goes to one man and heals him. And later on, he explains to his disciples later in John 5, he says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. So which one is it? Is it Mark 5 or is it John 5? Well, it's both. (laughs) It's both. So sometimes our starting point for ministry is based on a need. So someone comes to you like, hey, I broke my knee. It needs healing. Um, Can you pray for it? So we're essentially initiating. At other times, we just invite the Holy Spirit like we just did. I didn't know what he was going to do. Um, And the dancing hand of God touched people on the shoulder with something to give away. And we just followed his leading. And we ended up with a, a lovely little time of ministry. Both can work. And really, it's just about the situational dynamic, what is going to work in this particular moment, Um, what's the Father doing. If you think about it, we don't want to make a formula out of any approach. This is not we put the proper prayer into the Christian vending machine and out pops a miracle. That's not how this stuff works. Um, (laughs) As soon as we start to make a formula, what we're doing is we're trying to control the situation. And the whole idea of ministry time is we are not in control. The Holy Spirit is the one that's in control. But if you think about it, both approaches ultimately lead us to intimacy with the Father. The first, sorry to be a bit of a dad analogy, but the first is my daughter Blakely crawling up onto my lap because I've got strawberries and she wants one. The second approach is I've got a punnet of strawberries and I know she loves them and I reach down and pick her up and say, do you want a strawberry? Both lead lead us into intimacy together. And so both are about intimacy with the Father. Um, We're being led into God's presence. We don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is found in his presence. So when it comes to leading a ministry time, that realization is foundational. I want to give you a quick little model that if you are leading a ministry time, like in a small group or in a gathering like this, um, that you can kind of fall back on. It's not a formula. It's just like a starting point. It's really based on the five-step healing model that the vineyard came up with. And I've kind of just adapted it to running a ministry time. 
Um, but before I get to that, sometimes you'll notice that a ministry time kind of naturally flows out of worship. So like in a time of worship, the Holy Spirit's moving and you kind of just respond to what he's doing in that moment in worship. So if you're a worship leader, you might notice someone weeping because for whatever reason, that particular lyric just seems to be on fire in that moment and God's doing something. Now you might sing that song next week and it's not. So it's not about the song, it's just what God's doing in that moment. And if you announce it, you speak it and allow people to respond. Often God blesses and pours out more of his spirit in that moment. So sometimes it comes out um, of worship. And if you're like leading a gathering, something that I, I found really helpful is just count to 10 after the worship before you jump into the announcements. Just take a moment. What's God doing in the room? Count to 10. If nothing else, there's just that beautiful holy silence before you move on. But maybe God wants to do something. Give him a chance to do something, to speak to you before you just rush into what you're going to do. Um, ordinarily, though, most, most of the time we tend to run ministry times like after a sermon, after a talk, um, towards the end of a gathering. And in that case, I would say don't have any worship at all. Why? Uh, well, because we want people to receive primarily. We want to encourage people to receive. And when we're worshipping, what we're doing is we're giving to God. So after a talk, if we're going to lead into a ministry time, don't get the Holy Spirit keyboard up. Don't get the worship leader to come and start singing. You just have to wait. See what God wants to do. Part of that, as John was talking about, we just want to dial it down. Um, We don't want to try and hype the Holy Spirit up. He comes down. We don't want to try and whip people up into an emotional frenzy it's actually easier to receive from god when we're relaxed and when our stuff is a bit out of the way so i never get the holy spirit keyboard up i prefer to start without any band at all Um, a friend of mine regularly cracks jokes at the start of ministry time (laughs) like just straight off the bat it just kills any religiosity in the room and it makes people relax and then you go okay let's pray um, so if you want, you can just start with a really lame joke. And if no one laughs, well, you just move on. <laughs> but you really, you want people to be relaxed because we receive more easily when we're relaxed. Um, one of the things that really drew my wife Tanya and I into the vineyard was this kind of model of doing prayer ministry. Because I'd been in circles where the Holy Spirit keyboard's there and we're trying to build an emotional response. But the vineyard goes from literally dead, like nothing, to miracles and the only difference is that God made, made it happen and I love that just the reliance on the spirit if God doesn't show up well we just have morning tea earlier and that's totally fine so before I start I normally like coach people like hey just relax open up your body posture don't worry about the person next to you those kind of things just to help people engage in what God's doing and to stop worrying about the stuff that generally people bring into a ministry time and I'd also encourage people not to pray I'm wanting them to receive not to pray so sometimes if you're doing this in more Pentecostal circles we say we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit and people automatically start speaking in tongues Um, and what they're doing again is it's kind of like we're worshipping again. We're, we're giving to God. And so I, as John said, I, I'll often say, I don't want you praying in this moment. Just receive. This is just between you and God. Allow God to meet you. Um, I heard a great metaphor for leading a ministry time. And it's like we're being a midwife. So our job is not to try and make something happen. 
It's to help people connect with the process and to receive from God the Father. It's God's job to meet people and it's our job to pastor people. So don't get the two mixed up. Our job as midwives is to explain what's happening so people feel safe and able to respond to Jesus. So after you've done whatever you want to do to help people relax, crack a lame joke, tell them to relax, whatever you want to do, um, generally I'll then flow into this four-step model. And it's pretty easy. It's just invite, wait, watch, and respond. So invite the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just welcome the presence of Jesus into the room. He's already here with us. Often it's just a matter of us engaging with what he's doing. But invite him to come and invite his gifts and his ministry. So we've been saying it all week, but that classic prayer, come Holy Spirit, I still think is one of the best prayers in the book. So invite the Holy Spirit and then wait. That's part two, wait. And this is not the the obligatory wait for 30 seconds and then shift into the three points that you'd already prepared out of your talk. Um, this is actually waiting to see what God wants to do with no agenda. Is this at the beginning or at the end? Whenever you intend to run a time of ministry. But this is at the start of running that time of ministry. Yeah. So it might be after a talk or something. And then you say, we're going to have a time of ministry. So you invite the Holy Spirit and then you wait. Whenever I get a chance to chat with people who were around in the vineyard kind of in the earlier days, I'll ask them, hey, what was different about what you guys were doing then to what we're doing now? Not so that we can carbon copy it, but I'm just curious. You know, what, 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 how were you guys doing things then and how are we doing things now? And I'll often hear people say, well, back then we used to wait a lot longer. And the reason for that, I think, is because waiting is like a demonstration of trust and dependence. And God loves it when we're in that place. So how long do we wait? Well, we wait until it gets awkward and then you wait a little bit longer. <laughs> and if you're running the ministry time, you'll probably notice it's, it goes something like this. It's like, oh, no, nothing's happening. Nothing's ever going to happen. They're all looking at me. Someone's going to walk out the door. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Lord, speak to me. Nope, still got nothing. Say something. Make something happen. But you kind of need to get to that point and push through it. And then once you push through it, it's like the Holy Spirit <laughs> starts to do his thing. Um, so keep waiting, get to that point of awkwardness and then push through and God will show up. A friend, Excuse me, yeah. Can I say, it's probably good, and I don't do this, but I just learned, to, to actually explain that to the person that you're going to be praying for, that we're going to wait. We're going to wait, right. Yeah. So that they know what's good, because they, I don't know that. Yeah. Does that make sense? And if you're, if you're kind of either praying for someone in a prayer ministry context or running a ministry time and it's not that familiar with the person that you do, you praying with then definitely explain it i've been in contexts where i've said hey can i pray for you and they go yeah and then i've i've like barely had a chance to open my mouth and they look at me are you going to pray and say yeah yeah i am i am praying why don't we just relax and wait and see what god wants to do so yes definitely explain what you're going to do um one one friend once told me that the awkward and the awesome always go together so you need to get to that point of awkward and then wait for the awesome. And if you can think about it, you know, Pentecost, 120 waiting for Pentecost in, in the upper room, they probably felt that. You know, Jesus told us to wait. What are we even waiting for? We were here yesterday. Peter, are you going to say something? You always say something. Why aren't you saying something? And then, bang, the Holy Spirit comes in fire. That's how this stuff works. Um, so while you're waiting, 
you can move into part three of the model, which is watching. So you're watching for signs of the Holy Spirit meeting people. And primarily what you're looking for are signs of power. And by that, I mean you're looking for those physical signs that I mentioned before, signs of the Spirit meeting people, which is why we pray with our eyes open. So some people will get hot when the Holy Spirit comes. So you can't obviously feel their body temperature, but you can see the effects of them feeling hot. So people start to sweat. So they get like a glean on their face or on their hands or they look flushed. Um, some people sort of hunch over a little bit, almost like they're under the weight of something, which is just the Holy Spirit resting on them. Some people shake a little bit. Some people shake a lot. Some people look teary. Um, some people just look at peace. Uh, some people's eyelids flutter. There are lots of side effects of the Holy Spirit meeting somebody. And when you notice that the Holy Spirit's meeting somebody, ask the Lord what he's doing in that person. Uh, my friend Mike once told me what God is doing in the one, he's doing in the many. So ask the Lord to highlight somebody in the room that he's working on and then ask him, what are you doing in that person? And you might just get the thought, I'm pouring out my compassion on that person. I'm giving them a heart of compassion, for example. And so you kind of trust that. It's not a foolproof method, but it, nine times out of ten, it's true. What he's doing in the one, he's doing in the many. So when you announce it, or better still, you pray it, Lord, pour out more of your compassion on us, you'll notice other people in the room start to react because that is what God's doing. And it's almost as you pray it, they're given permission to respond to what the Father's doing. And then you move into the fourth step, which is the respond to what he's doing. So invite, wait, watch, and respond. And as you pray or as you announce something, it's almost like you're speaking it out. You're giving permission for the Lord to continue to do what he's doing. You'll see more people react. And if it does hit home and you notice that that is what God's doing by looking around the room and you just notice that, oh, more people are being touched by the Holy Spirit, pray it at least two more times. Kind of like nail it home, if you like. Um, and then at that point, you want to help people respond by inviting them to respond. And as they respond, um, whatever that looks like in your context, so it might be come to the front for prayer or stand up where you are, or, you know, if you're in a small group, there is no front. So it might just be put up, put up your hand, or if you can see it happening, it might be get the person next to you to pray for you. Or you can actually say, hey, Kirk, I've noticed the Holy Spirit's meeting you. Can I get Jill? Can you put a hand on Kirk's shoulder? So you can actually call it out and facilitate the response. But the key is you want people to feel safe. Otherwise, they won't respond. And this is where that value of family is so important. You need to build that family, that safety into the culture of your gathering so that people feel okay to respond. I remember I was leading a ministry time at a church where this was not really the norm and I didn't realize it until afterwards in hindsight and I had a, a bunch of specific words and I know not all of them were wrong because I could see people <laughs> were reacting to the words as I was sharing them but I said if that's you come to the front and literally nobody moved and I said again come to the front and nobody moved and I had to kind of finish the ministry time I was like oh, what was happening there Lord and it wasn't until I chatted to people afterwards that coming to the front is so foreign in their context that it was people felt too unsafe they didn't want to respond. Well, they did want to respond, but they didn't want to respond in that way. So a better way in hindsight I should have been 
put up your hand if you would like someone to pray for you or some, and some, just facilitate it in the rows. Um, so whatever works in your context, but you do need to invite a response. Because as people respond, God tends to increase what he's doing because that person is then giving the spirit permission to work in their life. They're more receptive to what he's doing. And at this point, if it's a, a broader gathering, um, you have to step into the coaching role again. You need to pastor what's happening. Allow God to do what he's doing, but you then need to pastor what is happening. So you become a midwife again. So you might want to pray prayers like, more Lord, we bless what you're doing, but we ask for more. Those kind of things. And coaching people that whatever response they're feeling is okay. And it might not be any response. You know, I I generally don't feel anything. So I'll, I'll sometimes say that. If you're not feeling anything, that's okay. I never feel anything. Um, but if you are crying, you know, this is a safe place for you to receive from Jesus or ask God to do more if you're sensing more of his peace. Ask him for more. Just coach people along in the process, giving them permission to respond to what he's doing. Um, and then as people have responded, you'll want to facilitate people to pray with those people. And your role then is also to coach the prayers so that they kind of don't get in the way of what God's doing. So again, really simply, they become the midwives. So you say to them, invite the Holy Spirit, bless what he's doing. Don't fill the space with words. Um, Your primary role is to bless. And then you might want to say like, God might give you something specific to pray for. Um, If you feel led, then pray into that. Give people permission to listen to the Lord and pray as they feel led. So your role really switches into coaching what's happening and pastoring what's happening in the meeting. Does that make sense? Um, one last thing before we finish uh, about waves of the spirit. And in ministry times, it seems like this is purely just from experience and from chatting to people, but it seems like the Holy Spirit moves kind of in waves. So it almost ebbs and flows. Um, And the second and third wave, if you can get there, is usually more powerful than the first. What a lot of people do is they get a nice little ministry time happening, which is just really the first wave, and they they either haven't left enough time to get to the second or third wave, so they need to close the meeting, um, or they bail too quickly because they think that was great, and they get the worship band up and let's all worship together, and it shifts people's focus back into worship and out of the ministry time. But if you can hang in there and you can help people hang in there with you, you'll notice that often the spirit will bring a second wave and sometimes even a third wave. So in the first wave, you know, he tends to pour out stuff like love and peace and joy, but it's in the second wave, people start to really get free of stuff, like inner healing starts to happen. People's pain starts to come out, years of pain that they've bottled up. People step into new callings and new giftings. And then if you can ride it to the third wave, it could be even more powerful again. But in order to kind of ride those waves, you need to wait more. So you'll notice that you'll invite the Holy Spirit. He'll start to minister to people. You facilitate that. And then you'll probably sense a bit of a shift in the room. Like, oh, it seems to just be a bit lessened now. Don't bail at that point. Coach people to continue waiting. And if you can push through that ebb, the flow will happen again and a second wave will happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but... Um, if you can coach people through it, often the second wave will happen and the third wave. 
Is that helpful? Yes, mm. very. We've got five minutes. Did you want to just try a little clinic on that or? Yeah? All right, well, how about we stand?